Running a business is no cakewalk, but with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices, and that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is experience. So while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot com. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor. Gene was wooden. But be careful, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Huh? Oh! Gene, run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Tech Stuff, a production from iHeartRadio. Hey there, and welcome to Tech Stuff. I'm your host, Jonathan Strickland. I'm an executive producer with iHeartRadio, and how the tech are ya? It is time for the tech news for Tuesday, January 10th, 2023. Uh, As I mentioned last week, CES recently happened. That's the big consumer tech trade show that takes place in Las Vegas, Nevada. And while I did not go this year, I did read up on some of the stuff shown off and thought I'd give just a, a quick glimpse at a few things that caught my eye. And first up, is a 97-inch television because, of course, it caught my eye because it blocks everything else that you could be looking at. That is enormous. The TV comes from LG, and it's an OLED television, a 97-inch OLED TV. It also comes in a wireless version where you can connect the television to your various components without, you know, having wires go everywhere. Now, I have no idea how much that wireless version will cost if it does actually become a, a, a true consumer product as opposed to, you know, kind of a, a concept or proof, uh, you know, prototype or something. But the wired version, the 97-inch TV, is said to come out at around $25,000. It's outside of my price range for sure. Still, I can actually remember going to CES back when the largest OLED screens you'd see were like eight inches when they were just kind of showing off what OLED could do. Uh, 
Like there was no such thing as an OLED TV at that point. They had little displays, sometimes like bendable displays, but they were tiny. So this is really an enormous leap from where the technology was when I first started going to CES. Samsung, meanwhile, showed off a 77-inch QD OLED television. So there were no, there was no shortage of large TVs boasting great color representation and resolution. So again, just really phenomenal when you when you've been going long enough so that you saw where the technology was when you started versus where it is now. Like I said before, you would never even see a television with an OLED screen. And now we're looking at, you know, displays that are creeping up to the hundred inch size, which is just unfathomable to me. Yeah, pretty exciting stuff. AR and VR also had some entries at CES 2023. Lumus, L-U-M-U-S, showed off their latest design for AR glasses, and they look kind of like black frame eyeglasses, actually a lot like them. Wired reports that they felt like they were a little bit larger than your typical glasses are, but they otherwise look pretty darn normal. Now, Lumus is in the business of supplying smart display technology to other manufacturers to incorporate into their products. So it's not like we're going to see a Loomis-branded set of AR glasses anytime soon. Instead, you might end up with a Loomis display built into some other product, like whether it's a smart window or a windshield or something along those lines. Meanwhile, HTC introduced the Vive XR Elite VR headset. Uh, it's got a sleeker form factor. It looks a little, a little, way less chunky than earlier VR headsets. Uh, it's also reportedly less than half the weight of the MetaQuest Pro headset. So it's pretty lightweight. And keep in mind, the MetaQuest Pro is Meta slash Facebook's uh, attempt to create a headset that professionals would use in order uh, in in business settings. And if you have a headset like that, then you want it to be lightweight because if you're wearing it a lot, like if you're working a normal work day and you're going to be using your headset a lot, you definitely don't want it to be too heavy. So it sounds like this one is is pretty, pretty sleek in that regard. And it sounded like it's a, a fairly impressive piece of technology. And it better be because it sure ain't cheap. Uh, it'll be coming to market in late February for the princely sum of $1,099. So that's real expensive. You know, it's like the price of a, a an entry level or maybe you could say like a medium level gaming PC. It's nowhere close to what you would pay if you wanted to go top of the line. Like that's, you're getting into the multiple thousands of dollars then, but 1,099 bucks, that's a lot to spend on what most people look at as a peripheral as opposed to like a computer. So yeah, um, I don't know if this is going to help usher in a a wider acceptance of VR. It might be really impressive and work really well, but at that price point, I think it's still going to prevent a lot of people from jumping into the field. Uh, But I could be wrong. I've been skeptical about VR becoming a big thing. Like I've always thought that it's more of a niche technology, that it has its place, and that you can create really incredible experiences for VR, but because of things like the cost, as well as the fact that some people just get motion sick while they're using the technology means that you're probably not going to see it become the mainstream technology that, say, replaces 
computers or becomes the next revolution in computing after the mobile revolution. Every year at CES, there are always gadgets that get attention because they're different from everything else. They're not necessarily better or even useful, but they're different. And then that gets a lot of attention because people, frankly, reporters get tired of covering televisions and cars and audio systems. Like there's certain categories at CES that are always represented. And even if you see something that's really good, it's like a jump ahead of what the previous models have been. The fact that you've been covering that for years just means that you're kind of tired of it. So when something different comes along, people notice. I'm actually reminded of the haptic fork from several years ago. This was a fork that had a motor built into the handle and the motor would cause the fork to vibrate and and make food fall off the fork if it detected you were trying to eat too quickly. Like it was a way to try and force you to slow down your eating. Well, this year, one thing that I saw a lot of coverage on at CES was the WeThings U-Scan. Now, this is a device, it's a little cartridge thing that fits inside your toilet and it analyzes your pee. Uh, so the idea is that this thing can analyze urine and then report back via an app on things like whether or not you're properly hydrated, or maybe you're lacking some specific nutrients, or maybe you're using it to track your hormone cycle because you and your partner want to have a baby and this can help track cycles for that kind of thing. There's no one cartridge fits all solution here. It's not like it's not like making the claims of Theranos where one thing can cover all eventualities. So instead you have to choose the cartridge that applies to whatever it is you want to measure. And then on top of that, you have to subscribe to the service. So there's a, a subscription fee on top of the cartridge fee to use the service. Uh, the cartridges are going to cost around $600 a pop. I'm not sure what the monthly subscription fee is going to be. I will say that while I saw a lot of outlets report on this technology, it actually surprised me that not nearly as many pointed out the concerns that Cindy Cohn of the Electronic Frontier Foundation raised, namely that anytime you're talking about medical information and you're talking about an app ecosystem, you need to be concerned about data security and privacy. So Cohn asks a really good question. Is there anything being done with that data beyond the analysis? Could the WeThings company leveraged that data for other purposes? Could it possibly sell that information to other companies? And in the wake of a controversial Supreme Court decision here in the U.S. last year, could it mean that state governments that restrict women's access to things like abortion use data collected by WeThings to kind of monitor women? Like, it becomes very invasive, very handmaid's tale when you start getting into this. Now, for their part, WeThings later responded to this criticism, saying that the product and service will be subject to company data privacy policies. So, phew, big relief there. And last week, I mentioned there would likely be a few flying cars on display at CES. Uh, typically, these take the form of what looks like just a very large drone with four or more rotors. So, like your typical quadcopter design, although you know, quadcopter only refers to ones that have four rotors, uh, but, you know, big enough so that you could fit one or two people into like a cockpit that's in the center of these things. That's what most flying cars look like. But one thing I didn't anticipate was a quote unquote flying boat. Now, it's not really flying, uh, but that's kind of what CNET called it. It is the Candela C8. It's an electric 
speedboat. So it is an electric vehicle and it uses hydrofoils. So these are like wing-like structures that submerge under the water uh, while the rest of the boat lifts up off the surface of the, of the sea as you start to move up to speed. And the hydrofoils act like wings, but instead of the fluid being air, the fluid is actually the water of the sea. And this reduces the amount of surface area that actually makes contact with the water. It means that the boat can go pretty darn fast, like around 34 miles per hour. That's really a good clip for a boat. But the C8 also has some other tricks up its sleeve because, you know, hydrofoils, they're cool, but they're not new. Uh, some of the other things that the C8 has include a self-piloting feature. So sort of like Tesla's autopilot that's meant to keep the boat on a set course. So let's say that you are, you know, going from one island to another. It's going to take about three hours. You set the course and the boat keeps you on that. And it, it detects when you start drifting due to other things like wind or current, that kind of stuff. And can keep you on the right path. It also has tons of sensors so that the boat can keep itself stable and balanced, which is important when you're raised up on hydrofoils. And it'll only set you back $390,000. Now, of course, there were a lot of other items on display at CES 2023, but since I didn't go and can only form opinions based on coverage, uh, I'm going to just limit it to those things that I thought were kind of neat. Honestly, there's so much more for me to read up on. I, I, I'm still unaware of a lot of stuff that was at CES. So I'm going to segue into some other news. But first, let's take a quick break. Running a business is no cakewalk. There is a ton to keep track of. Employees to keep happy, spending to control, travel to plan. And on top of it all, nobody knows exactly what the future holds. Your finance team always has to be ready to change. But with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices. And that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is, experience. And you can finally say goodbye to the costly mistakes and risks that come from manual work and spreadsheets. So, while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot com. Claim comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter Jason Concepcion. Rosie, somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. It feels so good. It does. And like always, we'll be here every week covering the wide world of TV, movies, comics, and geek culture. That's right. We'll be talking about Batman, heroes of that stature, and of course... We'll be inviting our friends in the industry to come geek out with us and share stories. We'll hear from TV writers, from actors, comics creators, pop culture critics, and more. Nothing is off the table because geek culture is pop culture. And we can't wait to share our love of it all with you every single week. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Eugene Fodor. Gene, we'll it. Much of the joy you will find on the road 
comes from the person you share it with. So you write the books, Jin, and Vlastar runs the business. I understand now. He's a wise man who marries a wiser woman. But be careful and choose your travel partner well, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. Get down! I'm not stupid, Jean. Something is going on, and it's high time you tell me the truth. Freeze, Americano! Huh? Oh! Jean, run! So travel before it's too late. Your money will return. Your time won't. And we're all too quickly approaching that final destination. Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season remind us to embrace change and fearlessly look toward the future. Like Andrew Jarecki, award-winning filmmaker and creator of MoviePhone. The studios didn't really control the theaters. The theaters didn't control the studios. And I thought, well, there's a window in here where I could make things easier for the consumer and also make something that would be very useful for the industry. Or Kellen Kenny, chief marketing and growth officer at AT&T, who installed fiber in customers' houses rather than leading from afar. It is so crucial that you spend time with the customers. That is the best lesson. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark, more than ever. Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Okay, we're back. Over in China, some recent Tesla customers are really, really unhappy. Why? Well... Recently, Tesla marked down the prices of various vehicles it was selling in China by several thousand dollars. So the amount of markdown really depends upon the specific model of car, but all of them got big price cuts. However, that means that the folks who purchased a Tesla in China before the company made this markdown had paid an earlier higher price for their cars. Now they're upset that if they had just waited a little bit and then purchased their vehicle uh, after the cuts, they could have done so for a, a decent discount. And yeah, you know, this kind of buyer's remorse is pretty common. I know that I have personally kicked myself for buying something that later went on sale, like not long after I bought it. And I think, gosh, if only I had waited, I could have saved, you know, however much money. But hindsight's twenty twenty, right? You had no way of knowing necessarily at the time when you make a purchase that a week or a month later, it's going to be significantly cheaper. It, unless you have like insider information, you just don't know. But for some customers in Chengdu, China, things went beyond buyer's remorse. Customers reportedly stormed the Tesla dealership. They got inside, they vandalized the dealership, they damaged one of the electric vehicles on display, an ATV that was on display. They stole some stuff, allegedly, uh, they also left behind a list of demands, which includes stuff like a free lifetime subscription to the full self-driving feature that Tesla offers, plus like 10 million Tesla points. Uh, I'm unfamiliar with Tesla points, so I need to look into that to see what I'm sure it's a loyalty thing. But like, what are Tesla points for? Uh, they also wanted extended warranties, that kind of thing. Tesla, uh, the dealership said, hey, we're sorry, there's not like a program in place to give you a refund 
or to give you a rebate based upon the change in price. That's just not how this works. And the company, I don't think, is very likely to meet any of these demands. But the Chinese media is reporting the matters relating to quote-unquote customer rights, as opposed to reporting on this as like acts of vandalism. Uh, And that could indicate that Tesla is going to have a tough time handling PR in China in the short term. Like when I hear this story, as much as I don't like Tesla, I think, well, it's unfortunate when you buy something and then the next week it goes down in price. That's that stinks. It's never fun for that to happen to you. But it's not like the company owes you anything like you just it was just bad luck, bad timing. Uh, So I really don't feel that Tesla's in the wrong here. And it it's weird that the media is referencing this as con- customer rights, although China is a very different kind of com- country than uh, the United States. So maybe that has a big part of it. But yeah, that's not a not a great indication of a solid, you know, reputation for Tesla within China. Next up, social media companies, including Facebook, YouTube, TikTok, and Snapchat, among others, are facing a new lawsuit, this time from the Seattle public school system. Seattle is in Washington state here in the United States. The lawsuit charges that these social platforms have violated a public nuisance law, that they are designed for the purposes of, quote, hooking tens of millions of students across the country into positive feedback loops of excessive use and abuse of defendants' social media platforms, end quote. And, you know, that's kind of hard to deny because every social network out there has worked to find ways to keep users engaged on their platforms. That's what's profitable. I mean, it's way less profitable for someone to pop into your service, take a look, and then pop out. You want those eyeballs to stay glued to your service for as long as you can possibly keep them. So you purposefully design your service to encourage extended engagement by creating these kinds of feedback loops that psychologically reward the user for sticking with the service. From the network side, you can argue this is all in an effort to provide the best experience to the user. Like that's how you can frame it. Like we're just trying to give the user the best possible experience. However, The flip side of looking at this is to say it's really an effort to make the user increasingly dependent upon the service, that they become kind of addicted to it. Further, the complaint alleges that the networks have perpetuated harm on young users, citing research and reports about how the use of social media can be associated with various mental health issues like depression, anxiety, suicide, uh, eating disorders, that kind of thing. Now, whether the court system will also find that these companies are responsible for perpetuating harm and hooking people into the system remains to be seen because we're just at the very beginning of this process. I think it would be very hard to argue against it. Uh, I suspect that what we'll see is a a settlement at some point uh, because, you know, we've even seen internal documents from within Facebook slash Meta that essentially support at least some of these arguments. And, you know, when your company's internal documents appear to support the allegations made against you, that becomes difficult to defend against. So we'll have to see. I mean, you never know. It all depends upon the court and how arguments are framed. So it's not like it's a done deal one way or the other yet. Next, we're going to talk about AI. In fact, we're going to talk a lot about AI. I think stories about AI 
will be a huge thing throughout 2023. Uh, ChatGPT kind of got things fired up last November, and our first story about AI relates to the AI chatbot that has people creating machine-generated children's books, that has teachers worried about students using it to cheat. You know, it goes from everything from interesting distraction to the downfall of society, and that, of course, is ChatGPT. Reuters reports that Microsoft is in talks with OpenAI, that's the group that owns and operates ChatGPT, and that Microsoft plans to invest up to $10 billion, with a B dollars in OpenAI. This deal would reportedly see Microsoft ultimately take a 49% stake in OpenAI, and other investors would take up the other 49%, and the final 2%, because if you add 49 to 49, you do not get 100. I tried multiple times, I just couldn't get there. Now, the final 2% would belong to OpenAI's nonprofit parent company. And uh, one thing I did not realize, but absolutely should have known, I mean, maybe I knew it at one point and I just forgot, but uh, it's that OpenAI was originally founded by Sam Altman and Elon Musk. And once you hear that Elon Musk is involved, then all that disruptive stuff that involves like arts and education makes perfect sense because Elon Musk likes to stir uh, poo-poo, we'll say. I won't use the rude word for it. But yeah, Elon Musk is, uh, I'm sure he thinks of it as being a disruptor, (laughs) which I guess is, you know, putting a positive spin on it. But um, he wrecks shop (laughs) is what the way I put it. And uh, yeah, uh, that includes creating things or funding things. He doesn't, Musk is not an engineer, but he funds things that end up causing lots of headaches for established uh, institutions and established ways of doing things. And frequently, not always, but frequently, the solution proposed by Musk is not superior to whatever was happening before it. Uh, So yeah, not a big surprise in the sense of like, oh, well, that all fits. But yeah, I I, I somehow missed that Elon Musk had co-founded OpenAI. Now, that's not the only Microsoft AI story that I have today. Another deals with a program called Vol-E, V-A-L-L-E. Now, I can only assume that was meant as a reference to the Pixar film Wall-E. But Vol-E is an AI system that can synthesize voices, like any voice. So all it takes is an audio sample of about three seconds of any voice, and not only that, Volley can synthesize speech that mimics the emotional tone and the acoustics that were present when the speaker created the sample. So if you had three seconds of someone totally losing their temper in, say, a tiled bathroom, the synthesized audio would likely sound livid and in a place that has a lot of hard surfaces and echo to it. Or if someone were chipper and happy and they were in a well-insulated space for sound, then it would come through the same way in the synthesized audio. So in theory, you could collect audio samples of someone in different emotional states and then using text-to-speech and then switching to preserve the right tone, you could use this tool to produce like a moving monologue that the actual person has never said in their entire life. This is both fascinating and it's kind of scary. It's apparently not always 100% convincing. I have not actually heard 
a lot of samples from this, so I haven't had a lot of personal experience with it. But from what I've read, at least in some cases, you can tell, oh, this was machine generated. But in others, there are some synthesized passages that actually sound like they were read by the person who supplied the original audio sample and that you could not tell the difference. Now, Microsoft already recognizes how this kind of tool could cause serious problems. As Ars Technica reports, researchers have written, quote, since Vol-E could synthesize speech that maintains speaker identity, it may carry potential risks in misuse of the model, such as spoofing voice identification or impersonating a specific speaker. To mitigate such risks, it is possible to build a detection model to discriminate whether an audio clip was synthesized by Vol-E. We will also put Microsoft AI principles into practice when further developing the models, end quote. Also, Microsoft is not sharing this code. That can help reduce the threat of someone using it to make it sound like, let's say, a famous person said things they never actually said. And when you consider the extent to which trolls on the internet will go to hurt someone just for the lulls, this is a very good thing because I can only imagine them using a tool like this to make someone they don't like appear to say the absolutely worst stuff you could imagine. I'm talking like truly vile things. That would be the first thing I would expect if this tool were to be publicly accessible. And by preserving emotional tone, it could even sound like the person was happy while they were saying the worst things you can imagine, which is a big old yuck. All right, I've got a couple more stories I want to finish out with, but before we get to those, let's take another quick break. Running a business is no cakewalk. There is a ton to keep track of. Employees to keep happy, spending to control, travel to plan, and on top of it all, nobody knows exactly what the future holds. Your finance team always has to be ready to change. But with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices. And that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is, experience. And you can finally say goodbye to the costly mistakes and risks that come from manual work and spreadsheets. So, while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot com. Hello! Claim comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter Jason Concepcion. Rosie, somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. It feels so good. It does. And like always, we'll be here every week covering the wide world of TV, movies, comics, and geek culture. That's right. We'll be talking about Batman, heroes of that stature, and of course... We'll be inviting our friends in the industry to come geek out with us and share stories. We'll hear from TV writers, from actors, comics creators, pop culture critics, and more. Nothing is off the table because geek culture is pop culture. And we can't wait to share our love of it all with you every single week. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling 
is choosing the right travel partner. Jean! Eugene Fodor! Jean, we'll boot it! Much of the joy you will find on the road comes from the person you share it with. So you write the books, Jean, and Vlastor on the business. I understand now. He's a wise man who marries a wiser woman. But be careful and choose your travel partner well, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. Get down! I'm not stupid, Jean. Something is going on, and it's high time you tell me the truth. Freeze, Americano! Huh? Oh! Jean, run! So travel before it's too late. Your money will return. Your time won't. And we're all too quickly approaching that final destination. Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season remind us to embrace change and fearlessly look toward the future. Like Andrew Jarecki, award-winning filmmaker and creator of Movie Phone. The studios didn't really control the theaters. The theaters didn't control the studios. And I thought, well, there's a window in here where I could make things easier for the consumer and also make something that would be very useful for the industry. Or Kellen Kenny, chief marketing and growth officer at AT&T, who installed fiber in customers' houses rather than leading from afar. It is so crucial that you spend time with the customers. That is the best lesson. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark, more than ever. Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Hey, we're back, and we got a couple more AI stories before we move on to some other stuff. Uh, and these involve the organization Do Not Pay. So this group does a lot of consumer advocacy kind of work. Uh, they got their start as a service that helped people identify and then cancel subscriptions to stuff that they rarely or never use. So you might create an account and then think, oh, hey, I haven't watched anything on the streaming platform in months. Why am I still paying for it? And then you want to bail and do not pay would help you do that kind of thing. Well, something else the company has been experimenting with is using AI to help people when they have to appear in court. and. Apparently, coming up next month, the organization is working with a defendant as they have to go to traffic court to defend themselves. The defendant is going to wear an earpiece, and the AI will generate responses for the defendant to repeat while they're in court. Now, there are a few other details, uh, but it's pretty scarce, because Do Not Pay wishes to preserve the defendant's privacy, which makes total sense. We only know it's not going to take place in a traffic court in California. And Do Not Pay has previously used AI to help people fight unfair parking tickets and found a, a 64% success rate across a quarter of a million cases with that. So that usually involved AI writing, uh, generating a letter in an effort to fight uh, a parking ticket, which is not a bad success rate, 64%. But this would be the first time that AI would actually be used in an in-person court case to boost someone's defense uh, strategies. And the law hasn't exactly been ahead of the game when it comes to AI. It probably will not surprise you that there isn't any law against accepting AI-powered assistance while appearing at trial. At least not yet, because no one ever thought that that was going to be a thing, or at least not a thing right now. So there's nothing 
preventing someone from doing this because no one's actually passed a law to prevent it. But then traffic court is small potatoes because it's it's pretty low stakes. It's usually over a matter that involves some money, but it's not that much money, at least not in the grand scheme of things. It might be a lot for the person who has to pay a fine, but in the grand scheme, it's never that huge. And frequently, cases can end up being tossed out just because the officer who wrote the ticket fails to show up to court. If the officer doesn't show up, then the person charged is just gets to go. But on the flip side, do not pay is perhaps cheekily seeking to argue a case in front of the Supreme Court of the United States. So the CEO of Do Not Pay tweeted, because of course, this was in a tweet, that the company would pay a million dollars to any lawyer scheduled to argue a case in front of the Supreme Court. And this lawyer, in return for accepting the million dollars, would agree to wear some wireless earbuds like AirPods and then follow the directions of the AI lawyer bot. The CEO says he's serious about this offer, but I don't think anyone's going to take him up on it because while a million dollars is a lot of money, I don't think any lawyer wants to be the one who has their name associated with a potential publicity disaster. If things don't go well, then your name could forever be associated with this weird AI experiment. And I think most lawyers who are arguing in front of the Supreme Court wish to preserve their reputation to some degree. Plus, there are rules about the kinds of stuff you can actually bring into the Supreme Court. That includes there's a ban on electronic devices while the court is in session. So it's questionable about whether this would even be allowed in the first place, just on a basic level. So while the offer is sure to get some attention, I don't think there's any real chance of someone pouncing on it, but it does illustrate how AI is going to continue to be a really big topic this year. All right, switching away from AI, across the pond in the UK, new legislation now requires builders to include gigabit internet connections on any new home construction, which is a really cool thing. Any new home built in the UK has to have gigabit internet connections built into it. Uh, this, of course, doesn't mean that everyone will actually have access to gigabit internet because you still have to have the service available in the area. You still have to pay for that service, but it will be possible, at least. It won't be because your home lacks the connection. Uh, the connection will be built into the home. In addition, the legislation is going to make it easier for people in existing structures to get gigabit connections installed. Now, easy does not mean cheap because the legislation is seeking for a cap, a spending cap on how much it would cost to uh, install connections into existing buildings. But that cap's high. It's like 2,000 pounds. That's a lot of money. Um, but the UK government estimates that around 98% of installations would fall under such a cap anyway. So the cap is really there to prevent people who are living in out-of-the-way places, like rural areas where there's very little infrastructure it's, it's meant to prevent them from being victimized by having a, a, a price tags that are just way too high to ever pay to have that connectivity built into them. So yeah, it's really expensive, but it's also meant to, to be a check on providers so that they can't bleed someone dry just because they happen to live out in the middle of nowhere. The legislation doesn't guarantee gigabit speed connectivity uh, just the actual connections, which is, the, there is a difference, right? The service and the actual hardware. So if there is no gigabit service in the region, then whatever is fastest will end up taking its place. 
The legislation also holds landlords accountable too. If a renter wants to upgrade to gigabit connectivity within their apartment, they would contact a broadband provider, but because they don't own their their structure, like if they're living in an apartment or or a rented house or whatever, then the provider has to reach out to landlords first to get permission. And nearly half of such requests went unanswered last year. But now, if a landlord does not respond within 35 days of receiving such a request from a broadband provider, the provider can take the matter to court to get access rights to the rented structure. By the way, reading up on what the broadband situation is like in the UK just reminded me how badly we have it here in the United States, where there is a distinct lack of competition among providers in most markets. Like the report I was reading, the person said there was like a hundred different providers they could choose from. That's not the case in the United States. Like for instance, where I live, there is one provider who offers service that is more than 200 megabits per second. So I'm not even in the gigabit per second area. I'm in the megabits per second. The next fastest is at 30 megabits per second. And that's the two major providers in this area. And all the other providers that are available in this area, their services are built on top of the of the infrastructure provided by the first two choices. So there's no competition in the United States. And it's ridiculous that we continue to pretend like there is. Uh, that's me getting on my high horse about that and being irritated at how poorly this has been handled by uh, regulatory agencies here in the United States. And I think it's ridiculous that I live in the city of Atlanta and I can't get access to gigabit internet. <clears throat> and you should be upset too, because that affects the show, you know, this show. So it's, it's affecting you too. It's not just me. All right, I'm, I'm done. Last year, one of the news stories that I covered was about how BMW was irritating people by locking certain car features behind subscription services like heated car seats. So the upsetting thing is that these features typically are already present in the vehicle, right? The vehicle can already do the thing that the subscription covers. It's just that the, the feature is switched off unless the owner pays a subscription to activate them. And a lot of people have the opinion that if a feature is in the vehicle, it should just be accessible upon purchase. I think that's a reasonable opinion. You could offer vehicles to have the feature as an option, and you could have other versions of the vehicle that do not have that option, and that could be reflected in the sticker price of the individual cars. But to have something built into a car that works, but it's turned off by default, well, that's frustrating for a lot of folks. And BMW is doubling down on that. Actually, it's more than doubling down on that here in the United States. BMW uh, has five features that are locked behind subscription services. This is new in the U.S. They include parking assistant professional, traffic camera, driving assistance plus, drive recorder, and remote engine start. So, for example, if you wanted a one-year subscription so that you could start your engine remotely, that would set you back $105 for the year. Uh, you could pay $250 and pre-purchase three years of service. Or if you wanted a lifetime subscription to remote engine start for that specific BMW, as long as you owned it, that would cost you $330. Otherwise, it's a 10 bucks a month service. Personally, I look forward to the dystopian future where stuff like windshield wipers and turn signals are also subscription-based. 
Except, of course, here in Atlanta, most folks would be well ahead of the curve on saving money because they don't know what turn signals are for anyway. Finally, we have a right to repair update. I'll actually be doing an episode kind of as an update to right to repair in its current status here in the United States pretty soon. But one of the big holdouts on right to repair has recently made some concessions. That holdout is John Deere. It's a company that's best known as making farming equipment. They also make things like lawnmowers and that kind of stuff. Traditionally, John Deere locked down its equipment so that farmers had no choice but to take their stuff to authorized John Deere service facilities. And that can sometimes be more expensive than an independent repair shop. Like if you've ever had a car and you've looked at prices uh, of taking that car to a dealership's service uh, center versus going to an independent repair shop, you might see, oh, I could save a lot more money if I go to the independent place. Well, that same thing is true with other types of equipment as well. And John Deere tried very hard to make sure that people could not have an alternative. They used a few different approaches to discourage or outright prevent someone from going anywhere besides a John Deere licensed service facility. And this is because Locking someone into an ecosystem of service and repairs creates an ongoing revenue stream. So you're not just selling someone a tractor. You're also essentially selling them all their maintenance and repair moving forward. It might be in the form of securing licensing agreements with various service centers around the the region. But yeah, this is a way to make more money rather than just rely on hardware sales. But on Sunday, the company signed a Memorandum of Understanding with the American Farm Bureau Federation, and now farmers and independent repair shops will be allowed to access stuff like repair manuals, tools, and parts needed to perform specific kinds of repairs on specific kinds of equipment. But in return, the Bureau agreed that farmers and independent repair shops would maintain trade secrets, they would not divulge them, And they also promise not to override things like safety features and that kind of stuff. In other words, you can't soup up your tractor so that it can travel the length of the field in like one-tenth the normal time or anything like that, because that would be dangerous. But this is a pretty big win for the right to repair. Okay, that's the news I have for you for Tuesday, January 10th, 2023. We'll be back later this week with some more news, assuming that stuff happens. And I mean, it keeps that keeps doing that. So I guess that's going to be a thing. And if you have suggestions for topics I should cover in future episodes of Tech Stuff, please reach out to me. There are a couple of different ways you can do it. One is you can download the iHeartRadio app. It's free to use. It's free to download. You just type Tech Stuff into the little search feature that'll take you to the Tech Stuff podcast page. And you click on that and you'll see there's a little microphone icon in there. If you click on that, you can leave me a voice message up to 30 seconds in length. Or if you prefer... You can send me your thoughts in Twitter form. The handle for the show is TechStuffHSW, and I'll talk to you again really soon. Tech Stuff is an iHeartRadio production. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Running a business is no cakewalk, but with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices, and that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is experience. 
So, while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot com. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen wolf And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor! Gene was wounded! But be careful, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Gene, run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.